the wisdom of know your enemies, both in the business and political realms. Well, if you've been paying attention, which I hope you have as we've been progressing through the book of Daniel, one thing we all should know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that God's people are in a conflict. It's this ancient conflict between what Daniel categorizes as the conflict between Babylon, the kingdoms of this world, and Jerusalem, the kingdom of God. And I would suggest to you that as the church seeks to be faithful and diligent in fighting this battle, we're in a battle, whether we like it or not, we're in a battle if we choose to fight or choose not to fight, I think it's important for us to know the enemies of God's kingdom so that we might persevere in the fight. As we look once again to Daniel chapter 8, let me review what we talked about two weeks ago. Last week was the missions conference, and two weeks ago we started Daniel chapter 8. And one thing we observed as we began that study is that Daniel chapter 7 can be, and I think should be, understood as a panoramic view of human history. And then as we began digging into Daniel chapter 8, we saw that Daniel chapter 8 really dealt with one individual in human history at a particular point in time. And so we looked at the identification of that individual that in Daniel chapter 8 is called the little horn who's distinguished from the little horn in Daniel chapter 7. And so this other little horn we identified as Antiochus IV Epiphanes who ruled the Seleucid kingdom in 175 B.C. to 164 B.C., so in the 2nd century B.C. And remember that, that Daniel was given this dream before the events of chapter 5 came to an end. So Belshazzar was still king of Babylon. This was the 6th century, and God showed Daniel events that would come about in the 2nd century, in particular the identification and some of the details concerning the wicked opposition of this individual that we have identified as Antiochus Epiphanes as he would stand against and oppose the kingdom of God. And so for today, what we want to do is to look at the character of Antiochus the fourth Epiphanes that we find in verses 23 through 26 of Daniel chapter 8. And then next week on Palm Sunday, though you may think it odd to be in Daniel on Palm Sunday, but what is Palm Sunday about? It's about celebrating Jesus as king. Would you agree with that? And the application for next week as we look at The last message on Daniel chapter 8 are the tactics that are used by Antiochus IV Epiphanes and all the many antichrists that are reflected in human history. And one of the things we'll learn in verse 27 is that in light of the identity and history of the many antichrists and a lot of the character of these many antichrists, these enemies, God, as we, as they precede the one final eschatological figure at the end of time, antichrist, in light of the many tactics, and I'll note three 
tactics in particular that are used to oppose the church. In light of all of that, what are we to do? What was Daniel called to do in light of the troubling circumstances detailed in this dream? He was to be about the king's business. And so next Sunday on Palm Sunday, we're going to talk about being about the king's business in light of this spiritual battle. I think it's a very appropriate message for Palm Sunday. So take your Bibles and turn to uh, Daniel chapter 8. We'd like to read this passage of Scripture uh, for us, beginning with uh, verse 23 as we look down through verse 26. Daniel chapter 8. And at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. Verse 24, his power shall be great, but not by his own power, and he shall cause fearful destruction, and shall succeed in what he does, and destroy mighty men and people who are the saints. By his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. Without warning he shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, and he shall be broken. By no human hand the vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but but seal up the vision For it refers to many days from now. Join with me in prayer. Our Father, as we reflect for a few moments upon this passage of Scripture, as we look to the character of Antiochus IV Epiphanes, of all the many antichrists that came before him, that have come after him, even as we look to that end-time figure, Antichrist, even as we look to the one who is the spirit of the Antichrist, Satan himself, Lord, show us the character of the ancient foe of your kingdom and your church, and that we might seek Jesus even more in light of these things. Strengthen our faith, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Well, these verses that I've just read really uh, portray, at least in Daniel's vision, the character of this future ruler of the Seleucid kingdom, Antiochus Epiphanes. But as I've said, I think it portrays the character of all those who oppose God's kingdom, in particular the one final end-time figure that we see referenced in Daniel chapter 7, Antichrist, at the end of time. And so today, page 6, you have your outline. The first point I've changed, instead of uh, fearless is merciless, uh, maybe mercilessly fearless, however you want to put that. But there are five characteristics that I want to talk with you about today that we can garnish uh, from this passage of Scripture that we've just read. And the first one is this, that this, this ancient uh, foe, this foe, the foe of God's kingdom is merciless. And so how do we understand that? Look at verse 23. It says that he is a king, that is, God is telling Daniel that Antiochus Epiphanes will be a king of bold face. And that phrase, bold face, really points to a ruler who is merciless, who is fierce, who is unrelenting in his determination 
to oppose God and to oppose God's kingdom and to oppose God's people. We might call Antiochus IV Epiphanes a type A uh, driven aggressive, hard-nosed tyrant who stops at nothing. I have to tell you a story. One time when we had three, uh, three teaching elders here, well, t- two teaching elders and, and one youth director, uh, we, we did a little personality survey. And, of course, my personality was that, that as, you, as you are trying to, to lead people across a minefield, you know what mines are, they bury mines in the ground, you step on and you blow up. That as, as we're trying to lead people across a minefield, my personality was to get to the other side without blowing up. So I'm very cautious in case you haven't figured that out yet. Uh, a former pastor that was here, associate pastor, was uh, Kelly Hand. And Kelly wanted to get to the other side with everybody together and having a good time. And the other staff member... Uh, Ryan Wright wanted to get to the other side as quickly as possible. It didn't even matter if people were following him, and it didn't matter how many mines went off. Well, I'm not saying that, that one of our staff members is in the spirit of the merciless uh, mini-antichrist, but the fact of the matter is that Antioch's Epiphanes was driven. He was a tyrant. He was ruthless. He was merciless. And no obstacle would stand in his way to carry out his demonic ends to oppose God's people. And his goal was to spread his reign. His goal, as we talked about two weeks ago, was to spread the Hellenistic culture. And he was unyielding and merciless in that endeavor. Now, the ultimate bold face is Satan. Listen to these words from 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And Satan stops at nothing to devour God's people. Satan is merciless in his temptation of God's people. And his oppression of Christians. Well, our enemy is merciless, but the second thing that I think we find here, as far as the character of Antioch's Epiphanes, is that he's a schemer. Verse 23, he understands riddles. Now, this may give making riddles a bad name, and that's not the intent of it. The intent of this phrase is that, that Antiochus would be a skilled ruler who would conceal his true, true agenda. Uh, he would try to cl- uh, clothe or cloak his meaning so you really couldn't figure out exactly what his plots were all about. And so there was this, this secrecy about, we, we think of understanding riddles probably in this context being more about political intrigue so that you're kind of maneuvering so that you can bring about your ends and and it's kind of like the, the, the frog in the, the water that's, that, that's heated up. If you put him in there and you start heating up before he knows it, he's cooked. And so we see this, this scheming, this plotting that, that takes place. Trickery, secrecy. And we see this actually in his maneuver that we talked about two weeks ago. Part of the historical data is that Antiochus IV actually plotted 
to kind of overthrow the great high priest and to put his own man as the great high priest there in Jerusalem. Well, the ultimate schemer is Satan, right? Listen to this from 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So you really can be fooled as to his true identity. And Satan is crafty to conceal his agenda and to conceal his work and actions in order to carry out his schemes. So Antiochus IV is one, like all that are in the spirit of Antichrist, who not only are merciless and a schemer, but thirdly, we see that he's powerful. Look to verse 24. It tells us that the ancient enemy shall be, that their power shall be great. And of course, we see this as we look two weeks ago at some of the history around, around Antiochus IV Epiphanes, that, that he was a mighty warrior, that, that he conquered his, his enemies, that he devastated Jerusalem on at least two occasions, destroying the city, destroying parts of the temple, putting to death many Jews, and that caused such fear to prevail in that city. And so here in verse 24, we see fear being part of this characteristic of the Antichrist who is powerful by human standards. And you may recall that a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that on one occasion, Antiochus sent his troops on a Sabbath day and slaughtered upwards of 20,000 men, women, children coming to worship God, and they were slaughtered by this powerful, ruthless tyrant. But also note in verse 24 something really profound here. It says that his power shall be great, but not by his own power. In other words, what that is telling us is that even Antiochus' power, as great as it may be, and as we look at, at human rulers that have opposed God and his kingdom throughout the ages, as great as their power may be, they are not autonomous. They are governed, they are regulated by the very hand of God They are under the providential hand of God at every step. And that is such a profound truth to keep in mind as we talk about the characteristics of those who oppose the church. And we look at 1 John chapter 5 and verse 19. The ultimate creature with power is Satan. And John says, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You know, the church suffers at the might and power of the evil one today and has throughout the ages. That's just a fact. Perhaps today you even feel as though you're under some kind of oppression or attack by Satan. This church has been under the attack of Satan. Do you know that? Your pastor has been under the attack of Satan. Do you know that? Your elders have suffered. The attacks of Satan. It's what Satan wants to do. He wants to do a lot of things to oppose God's kingdom. But one thing is to oppress 
the leadership of a church. Another thing that he might want to do is to cause you to not think Jesus' blood is sufficient to forgive your sins. And so if he can create any doubt in your mind about the efficacy of Christ's atoning work, he'll do it. And he's a persuasive and powerful foe. And we need to understand that. But here's the beautiful thing. <laughs> if I could say that. His power is regulated. Satan's power is under the providential hand of God. Was Satan free to persecute Job as he pleased? Absolutely not. Just read Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2. And Satan had to ask permission to afflict Job. If you go to Mark chapter 1, you will see God, this is really interesting, God sovereignly used Satan to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. To show Jesus as the true Israelite, the faithful one. I was just reading the other day about (laughs) Peter cutting off the ear of the uh, soldier and then, you know, just so bold to uh, defend Jesus and then it just within hours Jesus said Peter I'm going to hand you over to Satan and you're going to be sifted brother (laughs) boy was he ever for that roaster had crowed three times Peter denied Jesus three times but Jesus said you'll this is all under the providential hand of God Satan was regulated at every step And then we think of 2 Corinthians in chapter 12 with Paul's thorn in the flesh. What does Paul call the thorn in the flesh? But a messenger from Satan. Even that. Brothers and sisters, what what might be your thorn thorn in the flesh today, what might be my thorn in the flesh today, is not ultimately just because we're utter failures. It's because God has ordained it to be there. And he even uses Satan providentially to drive us to Jesus and to say it's not by my might, not by my gifts, not by my ability, not even by my faith. It's all about Jesus and his glory. And Jesus is in the business of using weak and frail people to do unbelievable things, to expand the kingdom of God The enemy is merciless, the enemy is a schemer, the enemy is powerful but regulated, and then fourthly, the enemy is a deceiver. You see this in verse 25, simply by one word, cunning. (laughs) And to be cunning is simply to be clever and crafty, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it can be used in a positive sense that you're clever and crafty to bring about what your goals are, what your, your end might be. So you might be cunning. Uh, You might be skilled and clever in organizing your future so that you achieve whatever professional goals you might want to achieve. But here it's used in the negative. That Antiochus Epiphanes was skilled at at achieving his demonic ends. And the text tells us that he's, he's cunning as a king. And look at the text in verse 25. He shall make deceit prosper under his hand. That is, 
Antiochus IV and all those like him that oppose the kingdom of God will use deceit as a tool to cleverly and cunningly bring about their end. And what is their end? To destroy the kingdom of God. And so part of this cunning is that because a person, an an opponent, an enemy like Antiochus IV Epiphanes is, is a deceiver, he can kind of lull you into a false sense of security. And then all of a sudden, as the text says, without warning, disaster strikes. And indeed, that happened in Jerusalem with many being destroyed. And what's interesting about this fourth characteristic of deception is that the the deceiver deceives himself. Do you get that? Look at the verse. So skillful was he at deception, verse 25, that in his own mind he will be great. Do you remember the, why, Nebuchadnezzar, why Antiochus IV added to his title Epiphanes? Remember it means illustrious God. And what old Antiochus hadn't figured out yet is that this illustrious God was actually deceptive. And he had deceived himself into thinking how great he was, how powerful he was, how skilled he was. And it was all about him. The ultimate deceiver is Satan. Listen to this from 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 through 10. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth. And so... Be saved. What happened to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3? The serpent, Satan, came to them and he powerfully tempted them. He, he, he deceived them. He worked such that they would actually buy into his lie that, hey, Eve, hey, Adam, you can be God. All you have to do is eat this, take a bite of this little apple. And of course, we know the result of that is that sin came into the world and the fall, the, the, the sin of autonomy. Satan didn't make them sin. They sinned by a function of their own, own nature, their own wills. But he did tempt them powerfully. He can do the same to us today. We must understand that Satan's temptations are deceptive. He will use deception in all sorts of ways to trip up God's people. He's merciless. He's a schemer. He's powerful. He's a deceiver. And... Fifthly, and thankfully, he's finite. His end is sure. Verse 25, he shall be broken. It's really interesting that in this this self-deception of Antiochus, he developed this false sense of importance and security, and then he really did have the power. But the text tells us in verse 25 that he was going toe-to-toe against whom? The prince of princes, a reference to God himself. It's a direct statement we find in Daniel chapter 8 of this ancient conflict between Babylon and Jerusalem, the worldly kingdoms and the kingdom of God. 
And the outcome was that he would be broken. We, we saw this beautifully depicted in the latter parts of, of Daniel chapter 7 as there were given this vision of the, the last days when there the little horn of Daniel chapter 7 and the fourth kingdom will be utterly destroyed, thrown into the lake of fire, and Christ and his saints will, will reign forever. So there is an end, and the ultimate loser, we have to understand, is Satan. In Genesis chapter 3.15, at the very point of the fall of mankind, we read this beautiful statement of the gospel, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The enmity between you, says God in Genesis chapter 3, between you, the seed of the woman, Christ, and the serpent, Satan, is that ancient conflict that has raged since Genesis chapter 3 and will rage until Revelation 22, to the end of time, until Jesus comes back. But notice that the seed of the woman, Christ's heel will be bruised. You know, in just a few weeks, we'll be celebrating Easter week. I want to really encourage you to come to the, both the Monday Thursday service and the Good Friday service. But the Good Friday service is a time of really reflecting upon the passion of Christ. His heel was bruised. He suffered. But notice what happens to Satan. His head is crushed, a fatal blow. Daniel 8 says he will be broken and we can rest assured in the finiteness of Satan and all those who are in the spirit of the Antichrist. Well, we, we, we began our time this morning with this, this military leader's uh, statement that if you, you know, if you know your enemies, you can win a hundred battles without suffering a loss. But that really wasn't the full statement. I kind of cheated on you a little bit. But I want to give you the full statement now. Zeus said this, if you know your enemies and know yourself, you can fight a hundred battles without losing one. And so it's important for us as the people of God to know the enemies of God's kingdom. It's equally important for us to know ourselves. And I just simply want to suggest three things we need to know about ourselves. And we need to know this, fighting the spiritual battle that is before us in our own strength means we will lose every time. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide? Luther says our striving would be losing. If we stand in our own strength we'll lose. We need to know that about ourselves. Secondly, we need to know this about ourselves. We're not by ourselves. (laughs) Please hear that. 
we're not by ourselves. We're in Christ. Listen to this in John chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. And what John is talking about, those who come in the spirit of the Antichrist, that's who we've overcome. So little children, you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And this love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same. And he must and he will and he is going to win the battle, says Luther in his great hymn. And third... We need to know this about ourselves. Our faith needs to be strengthened. We stand in our own strength, we'll lose. But we don't stand in our own strength. We stand in Christ. And those who stand in Christ must have strong faith. And God has given us means by which our faith is strengthened. The preaching of God's word is one means. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper is another means to strengthen our faith. So as we come and partake of this bread and wine uh, today, we do so believing in Jesus, believing in the Holy Spirit, believing in God the Father, and through that faith we're promised the Holy Spirit will strengthen us in the saving benefits of Christ. And if we're strong in the saving benefits of Christ, as we stand in Him This describes we will be able to do what Peter calls us to do in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 11. Resist him, that is Satan, firm in your faith, that is in Christ, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, listen to this, restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Those who live by faith in Jesus are those who live in the reality of the victory already being one, For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us, says Luther. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can and will endure. For lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Don't you love that? Jesus in the quietest little voice can say, death to Satan, and he's dead. When I ask us a question, where do we need to resist the devil? What does living by faith or what does having our, our faith strengthen look like? What do we need to ask God to do as we come now to this table to give a strong faith that we might resist the devil, the devil that we might stand firm in Christ? In the midst of the battle. You know the foe is merciless. He's determined. 
to tempt us. He's determined to trip us up. He's determined to destroy us. But we're called to believe on Jesus and to rest in his strength. Listen to what Jesus, this is so beautiful. Listen to what Jesus prayed for you and me as his church in John chapter 17 and verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And God is doing that. And the foe is a schemer. And God's people need to have strong faith in Jesus. And even though the foe tries to conceal and use intrigue as part of his scheming, plotting, maneuvering to destroy the church. Don't you love the, the, the theologians use this word, the, the prospicuity of Scripture. That is the see-throughness or clarity of Scripture. Satan's agenda is to destroy the church, but oftentimes his agenda is in the, in the context of a scheme. But listen to what Jesus says, ever clear about his agenda. Here's Jesus' agenda. In John chapter 11, verses 25 through 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's Jesus' agenda. It's clearly stated. No scheming at all. Truth. And the ancient foe is powerful but regulated. And therefore, we need to put our full confidence in Jesus, who declared this in John chapter 16 and verse 33. Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, talking about his church, each to his own home and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And be strong in the power of Christ. And the ancient foe is the persecutor of God's people. And his chief way of persecuting God's people is through deception. And one of the most handy techniques of Satan to deceive us is, as I said earlier, that we would doubt the efficacy of the pardoning grace of Jesus Christ. And we can so easily become as one under accusations of guilt, and we can even buy into it because we don't rest and trust in Jesus and his finished work. And so God's people need to be strong in faith so they don't doubt their union with Christ, being in Christ. And Paul said this, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, we need to be strong in Jesus so that we laugh at these deceiving suggestions of Satan that those who are in Christ are not forgiven. That those accusations might fall off our backs like water off a duck's back. And lastly, the rebellious enemy of Christ and the elect of God is finite. He will be broken. And strong belief means that we grow in trusting in Jesus, the one who has already won the victory. Listen to this from Hebrews chapter 2. This is my last passage today. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Christ Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Know the enemy. Know yourself. Know Jesus. Let's pray. Our Father, as we come now to partake of this, your table, remind us of these things. Thank you for your pardoning grace. In Jesus' name, amen.